Hi, I'm Jerry Grant, and this is a series of programs we're calling Disc Jockey Confidential here on WVUD and WVUD HD1 Newark, the voice of the University of Delaware. I'll be interviewing some of my fellow VUD jocks to find out what path they took to arrive here at the station. We'll discuss their earliest experiences with music and radio and records, and how those experiences inform their own show currently on WVUD. Today's guest is Stephen Leach, the host of Even Stevens Bop Time here on Saturday mornings for many, many years. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, Jerry. Good. Why don't you describe your show um, as it exists today? Well, uh, generally speaking, I, I actually uh, am producing uh, the kind of radio I'd like to hear. Uh, and I've broken it down into you know a, a lot of components. Uh, to accommodate uh, different kinds of music and different kinds of way to present that music, whether it's uh, rock and roll, uh, rhythm and blues, pop music, jazz. That's usually the genres that I uh, uh, deal with. I uh, uh, break it down into subject matter. Uh, I have guests who come in and help. Uh, I have a friend who who has a huge collection of 78s. That's uh, Larry Williams. He comes down. We kind of... uh, try to play uh, rare tunes uh, and choice tunes. Um, uh, and I also do segments uh, surrounding local music, play some uh, rockabilly with uh, Michael Ace uh, as well. Uh, and um, usually I pick a day in a year and play the music from that day and that year uh, and try to dress it up with uh, what was going on uh, during that time, what was playing at the movies. So I tr- right. try to add a, add a lot of variety to the to the program. Sure, and you have a four hour show. Well, more or less. Uh, uh, I used to have a four hour show, uh, and still do technically. Uh, I've cut it back to three hours with the first hour on the automated system playing oldies, and then I come in and start at seven. So it's let's call it a three and a half hour show. I, I will. I'll apologize. I missed the six a.m. on Saturday portion so, of your show. So do, do a lot of people, <laughs> and now I do too. <laughs> right, right, right. As we're doing with most of our uh, guests here, we start out by saying, "Why don't you tell us where you were born and raised?" Right here in Wilmington. Uh, I was uh, born here. My uh, family has been here for generations. Um, I grew up in uh, Richardson Park. Uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of near where you grew up, right? Exactly. I grew up in Forest Brooklyn and then right. moved up near near to Conrad after after that. Okay, yes. and that's where I went to mm-hmm. high school, Conrad High School. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, actually, I started spinning records uh, at Richardson Park School uh, when I was in the uh, ninth grade. Uh, used to uh, spin records during their noontime dances. Oh, wow. Okay, and then when I got to Conrad... Uh, Every now and then we'd have uh, the uh, sock hops, uh, basically the Sadie Hawkins dance, and I spun records there. Uh, and we also had live acts there. You want to describe Sadie Hawkins? Sadie Hawkins was um, uh, sponsored by the High Y, I think. Uh, and it was based upon a, a little Abner character, right. um, you know, and we you know made this punch called Kickapoo Joy Juice and— uh, Brought in the hay bales and all that sort of stuff, and sort of dressed it up like you know down in uh, dog patch, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, and um, that was basically the theme of, of the the sock hop. And was it a ladies' choice thing or or no? No, well, we had the ladies' choice pieces, you know, when we played the the slow songs, the belly rubbers, right. you know. 
uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, we did have live acts. It was I might mention I don't I don't want to let this one go by uh, that I uh, had the uh, Teddy and the Continentals uh, uh, play at one of the the uh, uh, Sadie Hawkins dance. Teddy Henry was a classmate of mine at Conrad, and um, I asked them to come in. And this was in 1961, and uh, they uh, came in uh, live, uh, played, uh, sang a cappello, uh, and uh, it, probably the best memory from Conrad High. Wow. Uh, I, I remember it vividly because the guys sang a cappello at first, and we had a live band. And as they were singing their first number, the, 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 the drummer and the bass player sort of fell in, you know. And uh, Teddy stopped, you know, like on a dime, you know, and he went back and he talked to the drummer and I guess, you know, they needed to come together with a tempo and he mm -hmm. went back and they started again and, and, uh, you know, the band kind of fell in after that. And it was a, it was a, a really fond uh, memory. I believe it was, so was Teddy and the Continentals, were they from Belvedere? Uh, Teddy did. He lived in mm -hmm. Belvedere as well as uh, Eugene Calloway. He was also a classmate at Conrad, but I didn't know him then. Uh, and they were from Belvedere. Uh, we should say Belvedere was an African-American suburb, kind of distinct uh, north of Newport or whatever. Right, north of Newport, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Boxwood Road and Newport Gap Pike was the intersection there where Mariano's was there. Mariano's Liquors. There you go. Right, right, right. Um, mm -hmm. And... Um, Belvedere has an interesting history, but I don't think we want to get into that. No, I just wanted to, yeah. just for just for a hundred years from now, if somebody discovers the the tape here, that right. uh, you know, so yeah. they know what we're talking about. Then I think Teddy went on to uh, Wilmington High or someplace like that mm -hmm. because he was only there in his, his junior year. In your household, growing up, was there what kind of exposure did you have to music? Uh, let's start with radio. Why not? But uh, was radio played in your house? Yeah, I played radio. In fact, mm -hmm. I still have my radio that I had back then, old tube radio, Halicrafters, and uh, would come home in the afternoon and either uh, listen to Mel Burnham on WAMS in the afternoon or, or Bandstand uh, downstairs. Otherwise, rock and roll wasn't allowed in the house. <laughs> oh. Uh, we didn't. We weren't allowed to have rock and roll records, though we had a few, you know, that we kind of, you know, kept under the mattress or whatever. Uh huh. Uh, but uh, yeah, we listened to a, a, a lot of rock and roll, particularly in the late fifties, through those two mediums. Did your parents have records that they played? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, my father did. Uh, our my parents split up in fifty uh, seven, but uh, my father uh, had a, a lot of music. Um, and it was from his collection that I got an appreciation for classical music and for jazz. I still have some of the jazz records that, that he had. Uh, listened to, you know, Miles Davis, the MJQ, uh, some Art Blakey, uh, some Lionel Hampton. Those are the ones that I remember. Hmm. In fact, some of those albums I still have. Now, how about uh, any live music? Like, did anybody play an instrument at home, or did how about let's how about you? Did you ever play an instrument, or no, never did. Uh, mm -hmm. Had some uh, failed attempts. Sure, um, that's a running theme of this show, actually. But uh, <laughs> right. you know, I tell people that I only play the radio. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I I attempted to play, uh, learn how to play guitar and 
stuff like that, but I didn't have. Did anybody play an instrument in the house or anything? Well, my mother's family was a very musical family. My grandmother uh, played the piano. Uh, she could walk to the piano after hearing a tune and play it. And she actually, uh, back in the silent movie days, actually uh, played a uh, piano and organ in some of the movie theaters in Wilmington. Wow. Uh, my, my uncle uh, was a singer. He was, uh, uh, before he died, he was the oldest uh, member of the, of the Wilmington Opera Company, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, but, you know, that's mm-hmm. kind of the unevenness of, of that kind of talent. Those are the only two musical members of the family that I, I remember. Do you remember? Do you remember hearing music? Like you heard records at home. How about hearing live music? Do you remember any memories of your first exposure to live music of any kind? Well, only the hot bands we hired, you know, for for the the, the sock hops at Conrad. Don't remember too much live music. I never listened to or was exposed to live music until many years later. Um, okay. And of course, you know the live music and parades and the high school band and stuff like that. Right, right, yeah, so, right, but right. That was the only exposure that I had until many years later. So, when you're listening on the radio to Mel Burnham and stuff, what what's what's going on? What what are your favorites? What's on the radio in those in those days? Well, a lot of great rock and roll, you know, um, Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis Presley, all of them. Um, this is fifty seven, fifty eight, or yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. fifty seven, fifty eight, fifty nine, right in there. Okay. Um, and it was basically rock and roll. Uh, that's about all that I listened to, you know, either, as I said, on, on Mel Burnham's program or on, on, uh, bandstand, you know, uh, on got, TV, on television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got to see, uh, the kids dancing and see what the dances were and maybe some of the, the, uh, the intrigue going on among the kids, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. It was a little bit of a soap opera there too. I, I remember Bob and Justine, mm-hmm. okay, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right, right. Uh, yeah, my mom. We would watch that with my mom too. That was the ironing got done to bandstand in the afternoon, All right? And yeah. the kids were home. And any other radio in the home? Do you remember listening to the other radio? My father would tune in WJBR when it was, you know, really, um, uh, really easy, easy, easy listening. Right. Yeah. Just beautiful radio. Yeah, you got it. They used to call it dentist's office music or whatever. Right. 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 Oh, okay. And he would listen to that. But uh, that was the only music we, we heard. I, I listened to the radio, of course, when I was really, really young, uh, you know, from um, the late 40s, for example. My mother always had the radio on. Uh, and before that, um, when I was living with my grandparents during the war, uh, the radio was on. And I remember... A lot of great tunes. I remember my first, the first tune I remember, okay, which was um, the trolley song, for example, which a kid would remember, you know, because it was so simple. Clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Yeah, you got it. Oh, good. <laughs> and uh, a lot of the late 40s songs, I have a fond memory of those. Um, and uh, so uh, the radio, yeah, the radio was always on at, at, at uh, wherever I was living. So you go to high school, and you said, so you played... Uh, you played records at lunchtime. I'm sorry. Well, junior high, actually, I guess, right? Right. Ninth grade. Yeah, it was a little bit convoluted because uh, it was the apex of the baby boom. So my freshman year was actually my last year at junior high school. 
And then when I went to Conrad, they had split sessions. Because uh, of the overcrowding before John Dickinson was opened. Right. I always say I always say in my second grade there were a hundred and two kids and I went to Catholic school, the nun taught fifty one of them from eight until noon. Mm-hmm. There was an half an hour lunch and then fifty one different ones would come in. Right. And I was the, I was in the second shift and right. then and the nun after a half an hour of, of lunch taught fifty one more kids, which right. is it sounds horrifying today but they were big classes then we yeah, accepted yeah. that mm-hmm. we thought that was the norm yeah. right exactly yeah. and so you went to conrad and um would live bands play at these dances uh, occasionally or is it mainly just records um occasionally yeah uh like i said we had a live band when teddy was uh right. there and uh you know on a few other occasions um and then on other occasions yeah they spin records Mm -hmm. i think it was kind of half and half as i recall and in high school is your is your taste changing at all or uh yeah actually in high school uh i was beginning to uh uh listen to more jazz and classical music i sort of you know uh, let uh, you know rock and roll sort of slide then the apex of my listening to rock and roll was in the late 50s uh, but in the, the 60s, as I said, uh, I was listening to more jazz. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first record you bought? First record I bought, um, I do believe it was Dee Dee Dinah by uh, Frankie Avalon. I mm-hmm. uh, love that record. I love the flip side. I can't remember what it was now, but mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think off the top of my head, yeah. So all 45s pretty much in those days. 45s, right. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, we thought albums were for adults. Right, for Broadway's, Broadway yeah. shows and classical. Right? Yeah, we had a lot of those, too. I, I got a good taste of Broadway because my father would uh, uh, bring a, a lot of Broadway uh, into the house. So mm-hmm. got to listen to Oklahoma and Music Man and My Fair Lady and all those. Sure, sure. You graduate from high school. Mm-hmm, 62. 62. Yeah. And... Uh, then I took a year off deciding what I wanted to do, whether I wanted to join the service or, or go to college. And I decided to go to college, and I was accepted uh, to Wesley College in Dover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a, just a two-year school then. They had a radio station, uh, WSLY, which is where I began doing radio. Oh. Uh, did a morning show. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And also experimented with other programming. We had a a program in a Sunday afternoon where a classmate uh, uh, and I would uh, try to generate some chatter, you know, with the music and try to be personable and all that stuff. Also did um, an interview show there, um, which was taped for later broadcast. Uh, and I remember a couple guests that I had was, uh, one was uh, Jack D. Hunter, who wrote The Blue Max, and uh, Edward Loper was on one of my uh, interview the programs. The painter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, also had an interesting experience. A couple of the professors and uh, a couple of others uh, wanted to do a live radio play. They did um, uh, No Cowards, Private Lives, uh, live. Of course, they rehearsed it a lot, and I was there with uh, the sound effects. You know, oh. So I got the break glass and stuff like that. Oh. Uh, one of the actors in it was a, a woman by the name of Bella Ward, who was a secretary there. Uh, she happened to have been uh, Raymond Burr's wife back <laughs> back in the day. Wow. And uh, she was one of the uh, actors. Uh, two of the professors um, 
William Hughes and Robert Banta, I think it was the name of another woman, because there were only four in the cast. Mm-hmm. But that was fun. We we did that live. I guess there are no tapes or anything like right, that. Right, right, right. But that that was that was interesting to do that kind of radio. What was your morning show like? Was it just a, It was basically rock and roll, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I played a lot of Beatles. I was I was there in 64 during Beatlemania. Oh, okay. Which was interesting, you know, to have, you know, six of the four top tunes <laughs> being Beatles. And when I say six of the four is because the flip sides were also hits. Right, and sure. That was exciting exciting times. And I actually have some of those old records still, those old 40s. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was that's when I I started basically listening really heavily to radio in 63 mm-hmm. and to stuff that I, to whams. I can remember Roger Holmes saying, well, you know, Solomon Burke is number one this week, but the big news is from Britain right. jumping from, you know, 29 to 12, you right. know, or something like that. Right. And I can remember it vividly. Wow. So, okay. So you're doing a, a morning show there. Mm-hmm. And so I guess it was like time and temperature kind of stuff or, or just music or mostly music. I, you mm-hmm. know, I did some time and temperature things, you know, cause people wanted to go to class, I guess. Right. Right. Uh, I was really, you know, wet behind the ears. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I tried mm-hmm. to be uh, uh, cool, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we always had a couple other guys there who were cooler. There was Bob the slob and Murph the surf, you know, and, and they knew what they were doing. So you're there for two years? Two years. Well, two and a half. Uh, I, I managed to squeeze out a, a, a another semester. Uh, and uh, I was uh, getting ready to transfer to the University of Delaware. But I, I lost my draft deferment and got drafted. So I did that thing for a while and then came back um, here uh, in April 68, which was an auspicious okay. time to to come back to Wilmington. Oh, well, sure. Sure. Before we skip over your service, mm-hmm. I, and I don't want to make light of, of the seriousness of all that, but yeah. was there anything musical? Were you, you were in Vietnam? Vietnam. Right. And was there any musical? Yes, there was. The Chris Noel <laughs> on Armed Forces Radio. Uh, she also did some movies and stuff yeah, like Chris that. Yeah, Chris Noel. I remember her. Sure. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, was exposed to, uh, uh, music there, uh, through her, uh, uh, remember hearing, uh, Jefferson airplane, uh, uh, who do you, what, what's what somebody to love? Yeah, that's the sure. one, right? Uh-huh. A few yeah. others. Right. Um, we heard about the Beatles and Sergeant Pepper, though that was never played, though someone, uh, Went on R and R to Japan, and they uh, brought back a, a red vinyl uh, Dr Pepper, wow. which we listened to uh, over and over again, along with uh, another record, uh, Sunshine Superman, uh, and the Fugs. The Fugs, know, right? Uh, the Virgin Forest. I remember playing that all, over and over. So yeah, we got to hear the music uh, when we were in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you come back to Wilmington. Yeah in 1968 and as you say one thing that's going on in Wilmington of course 68 was a horrible year for the country uh assassinations of Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King uh and as a result the National Guard Governor Terry brings the National Guard to Wilmington where they stay way too long Mm -hmm. nine Uh, months nine months right uh keeping order supposedly but anyway so uh, you come back so uh, musically are you doing anything or 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 you're listening you're list obviously you're you've heard the jefferson airplane and stuff so are your tastes going that way oh uh, yeah really actually my brother surprisingly who's kind of square 
um, <laughs> started saying, listen to this guy, Jimi Hendrix, right? So, uh, you know, I heard Jimi Hendrix uh, listening to the Velvet Underground and, of course, more Beatles and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. And uh, slowly I you know, matriculated to the university uh, where uh, uh, the radio station was just getting started here. It was Carrier Current. Uh, I was interested, kind of, uh, but because it was just broadcasting to, to the dormitories, basically. Right. Uh, and because I had been in, in Vietnam and doing radio where, you know, people were shooting at me, I just said, oh, nah. You know. Plus, I was, you know, turning on, tuning in, and dropping out at the same time. So, But I, you didn't do radio in Vietnam yourself. Did you do radio? I, well, what it, yeah, in a, in a manner of speaking, my, my MOS was, it was a radio teletype operator. And so I did uh, uh, radio uh, in one place. Um, I did. I would sit in a bunker all night, waiting for, <laughs> waiting for the call that you know rockets and mortars were being thrown at us, and I'd have to uh, uh, wake up the officers who were in the uh, air-conditioned billets. You know, <laughs> and, you know, by telephone and then turn on the siren, you know, to tell, you know, that we had incoming, uh, that kind of radio. And we get, I can still remember from uh, Tiger 6-5 to Red Cap 6-5, which, is, which, which was us. And uh, then when I got uh, transferred to an, another unit, I uh, did teletype uh, ordering parts for aircraft using a teletype and you know we cut the chad tape you know well why don't you explain teletype a little bit it's kind of a lost art yeah well it was basically a typewriter and and you know you get this list of parts that needed to be ordered for aircraft that had been shot down or whatever so we type it out and and as you're typing it out it cuts it into this chad tape tape you know um uh, paper tape Oh. Perforations in it. Okay, like you hanging know, like, chads. Right, or, or ticker tape. That's probably the closest okay. thing. So you cut it into that, and so you end up with this big spool of, of, of uh, chad tape or you know ticker tape. Right. And then you run it through a processor, and it would just, you know, just like the old ticker tape machines, and it would, you know, send it out to Saigon or wherever it needed to go. And I'd sit up all night you know, wow. doing that. And then there was some ship to shore because the one place we were uh, at was at Vung Tau, which was on the base or, or on the on the on the on the seaport. It was a seaport, and uh, I had to every now and then go out to these little baby carriers um, where they had aircraft coming in, and so I was kind of the ship to shore trans uh, uh, communication for them. I see. Go out there with a little compact radio and stuff. So it was a, it was a varied experience. You come, so we're back in Wilmington. So, oh, you're going back to the University of Delaware. I'm sorry. Yeah, I right? went there for a while, and, and like I said, I got you know really caught up with the counterculture and everything, and sure, and left for a while. Um, you know, I traveled around and uh, lived in Boston for a little while, and even a shorter amount of time in in Cincinnati, um, and uh, kicked around the country a little bit. Came back uh, and uh, returned to the university in a kind of a ragged kind of way, you know, because I had to work and stuff like that. Right. Um, so you're a part-time student or? Well, or? part-time, but but back then you, the, your last semester had to be full-time, full-term. So that was you okay. know, the, kind of the way that worked. Then I graduated 
finally, <laughs> in 1974. And then about 10 years later, I joined this station, uh, 1984. Uh, and the reason I joined was actually because of the because of poetry, because I was involved with literary magazines and poetry readings, and I thought, well, you know, people read at these readings, and the readings had just begun, you know, and people didn't realize you could have actually poetry readings. You, you know, you didn't have to restrict it to the page. Right. Why don't you give a little background on what, what your experience was in that before you got to WVUD? I mean, in these... Was there an organized? Was it an organized thing? Poetry readings in the literary scene that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Mainly stemming from the counterculture, you had you know a number of literary-minded people, poets, basically. In the late '70s, uh, uh, a, a magazine was begun called Dream Streets, and I didn't get involved until issue two or three, and then I got involved in a big way, and through that magazine that publication, uh, there were public readings that were generated Okay, uh, in bars and libraries and places like that. And, you know, a number of these uh, poets could read well. And that their, their work was, you know, I thought pretty good. And I thought, well, you know, we could probably reach more people if we went and did it on the radio. You know, I mean, you, you, sure. instead of having an audience of 20 or so, you can have an audience of 100. So at that time, I came down here. Kay Cowan was the, the, the station manager, and I um, uh, pitched the idea to her. She liked it, and uh, we actually uh, did an issue of Dream Streets, Dream Street 6, uh, as a broadcast program of uh, 13 one-half-hour programs. And okay. uh, that's how I got involved with the radio here. Uh, and then uh, there was a, a guy on at in the evenings, uh, on Friday or Saturday evenings. You probably know this guy, Mitch. Mitch, right? Uh, Our Dave mutual Ron. friend, Dave Ron, right? And he had a thing called the Gold Rock Epoch. And I liked oldies, and I had a small collection of oldies and stuff. And he didn't want to do it every week. You know, he's a businessman, I think, at that point. Mm-hmm, right. And so he, he had, uh, you know, I said, well, I can— probably do it, you know, one of those weeks. And then there was a youngster here who was a student. So the three of us, we alternated. After a while, uh, uh, the student left, uh, and it was just Dave and I. And and Dave, you know, got uh, involved, and he gave it up. And it Mm -hmm. it was left to me, and and then my ex-wife and I joined me, and we sort of did our thing, you know, even Stephen. She was Icy Alice, you know. (laughs) <laughs> I remember it well. I remember it very well. Uh, you had a cast of characters even then. I mean, uh, yeah, in a sense, yeah, I mm-hmm. did. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, after a while, I, I decided, well, let's go to the mornings, you know, because I was working early with the school district every morning, you know. So I said, You drove well, a school bus for a long time? I did. Right. And I got up very early because I, I drove a, a bus into Kent County. So uh, I said, well, you know, I can do this one more day, you know. So I uh, And things kind of broke up uh, here, you know, on Saturday morning. So some space was being provided. Alice Sebrel. Right. Right. She, she left. And, and, and Carl, he didn't want to do three hours. So he wanted to do two hours. So I found, well, I'll do Saturday mornings. You know? Sure. Uh, and I can do it early, you know. Um, and no one else wants it. So, you know. 
the time honored WVUD uh, way that shows the programming develops here. Exactly. Time time opens up and somebody comes along and fills, right. fills it up. So I started there in 1989, and kind of you know developed it over the years, and here we are today. We've been talking to Stephen Leach today from Even Stevens Bop Time on Saturday mornings on WVUD. Stephen, thank you very much for coming in. Oh, you're quite welcome. Why don't you talk about how your show has developed since then? I mean, the way you started with how that grew. Hmm. I got more interested in, in other kinds of music. Always have been interested in other kinds of music, but I wanted to bring those into the program, the, the more of the jazz and the early pop. Right. You started with mainly oldies. Mainly right. oldies. Right. As I had done with the, the, the Gold Rock Epoch. But I wanted to bring those other kinds of music in. So uh, slowly I did that. Um, I started playing uh, some early 50s pop music because, uh, you know, I kind of emotionally identified with that. You know, shrimp mm-hmm. boats are coming and <laughs> those sure. kinds of, sure. you know, A, you're adorable and all those fun tunes. Um, and so I brought those in uh, and and I wanted to, you know, talk about the, the times that those songs came out. Because as I remember them, there were other things going on. So I wanted to kind of bring that in. Uh, I also liked movies. So I wanted to talk about the movies a little bit, right. a little bit of sports maybe, because uh, I am a baseball fan, you know, a mm-hmm. hardcore Phillies fan. Good. So, you know, I wanted to bring those in and, and, and sort of put them in a package. So I did that, and then I realized that, you know, uh, over a period of time that um, uh, there was local music, you know, that was pretty good. I, of course, discovered Clifford Brown. And mm-hmm. and uh, some others, and so I began to bring those in. He's native uh, native of Wilmington. I just want to throw in Clifford Brown, right. great uh, jazz trumpeter, African American. Uh, mm-hmm. Died at, unfortunately at a, at a young age. Unfortunately, just like Lem Winchester, who died at a young age, and he had short careers. And um, but anyway, I interrupted you, but just wanted to be sure. Uh, Go ahead. And, so you're discovering uh, jazz right. and, and local jazz. Right. But mm. I also want to do some other things. I, I used to do this um, a little a little skit, just slip into an alternate world, you know, because I was concerned about issues, you know. You, you, you've known me for a while, and I'm kind of a political animal. Sure. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't like the way a lot of things turned out, you know, in, in, in our history, in our society. So I d- invented this parallel world, you know. And so I did it from uh, a parallel world, but with the music, you know. Uh, had some friends come in, and we played parts and stuff like that, and uh, revisited certain historical incidents and redid them, you know, uh, made things better, you know. Uh, for example, uh, in, in one case, uh, uh, Richard Nixon is not elected president, but George McGovern is, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that kind of, <laughs> uh, <laughs> And and, uh, and so I could play the music, you know. The Beatles didn't break up, you know. So I played a Beatles, you know, post-71 Beatles, which was actually mm-hmm. a Ringo Starr tune with at least three of them on there, you know. Right, so, right, right. That kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, you created this, you know, what-if kind of thing, you know. So I, I, I brought the music in with, with a lot of other elements and it, it just ideas that I thought up. Sure. And um, – Incorporated them into the program, and and now you know I'm I'm um, doing things like I did this morning with uh, Maurice Sims, 
who is an old friend of mine. Right. And um, um, very entertaining, a jazz commentator, we'll call him or whatever. Yeah. He's with strong opinions. He, he, I, he, he's <laughs> quite a gem. He really yeah, is. He's, yeah. He, he's still with us. He's 93 years old. Whoa. And um, uh, you can't come in so much anymore. These are from old programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I do the thing uh, uh, with with Larry Williams and Kitty Mayo, um, where we come in and play, you know, a lot of rare tunes and sort of try to entertain folks, you know, jazz and R and B. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it's you know it's been a it's been a slow development, uh, you know, and uh, I don't know what's in the future, but you know, I'll, I'll, if I get tired of something, I'll try something else you know well it's a commitment to do a weekly show for sure and you and you do your show has a lot more preparation i think than many of the others. yeah I, I yeah i do put a lot of preparation into the program though as i as as the years roll on a lot of that's already prepared uh you know right. I, I save all my notes uh i save all the old programs that have been pre-recorded i can you know draw from them or use them over again if they haven't been played for a long time right kind of thing. right right um, so, uh, but, you know, doing the Saturday morning program is almost like going to church for me. It's, it's a real kind of act of devotion and, a, 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 a social responsibility too, because one of the things that are in the back of, of my mind is bringing people together and keeping the peace, try to bring all kinds of elements in. And like I say, you know, at the end of my program, that the music is the universal solvent in the American melting pot. And it is, you know. Exactly. Because we all draw from from all our disparate approaches to music and our histories to, to music, you know. It all comes together. Well, I mean, it's funny you mentioned Wil- Wilmington in 1968, but that was kind of as Wilmington was, I don't want to say disintegrating, what's the word, but just, you know, white flight and whatever and and because of you know the news about uh, disruption in in Wilmington and stuff like that the city and because of the building of 95 and a million other things mm-hmm. that the city starts to uh, fall apart a little bit and but you have a g- good memory of that and try to keep that going try to, the old Wilmington right and it's still there even though you know I95 you know tore a gash through the west side uh, the Poplar Street A project tore down the east side, which was, you know, as as I talked to these old folks, was quite a vibrant community. I mean, it really destroyed a a, a real cultural mm-hmm. gem. You know, I mean, there, you know, down on the east side, uh, there were lots of jazz clubs. Uh, when I first started getting involved with uh, the, the community there in, in Wilmington, particularly through my this opens an up, up another door uh, with with the, the black press, which I was involved with uh, during the the sixties and seventies and so forth. And talking to these old timers, I realized how many really talented people there were in in in, in Wilmington at that time. I mean, not only in music, but in literature, in education. I mean, Howard High School was an amazing place, you know. You had, you know, people like Pauline Young and Alice Dunbar-Nelson there. You had, uh, you know, uh, uh, people who came out of there like Clifford Brown, but like, you know, uh, Jay Saunders Redding and Lewis Redding and and uh, Dutch Burton and, you know, people who almost are forgotten nowadays. I mean, it was an amazing uh, community. And it was destroyed, you know, thanks to this concept of, of urban renewal, which the folks there call Negro removal, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and it created this this diaspora in in Wilmington, 
in some senses that were pushed up against the wall, which was I-95. That really kind of divided neighborhoods. Right. Besides, you know, tearing out a, 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 a vibrant neighborhood as it was. Yeah, and uh, the riots, it basically destroyed Wilmington. We haven't recovered. You know. Right. But we're getting away from music. Yeah, I, mean, I was, well, was going to say, let's segue to, did you go to Dry Goods and buy records at Dry Goods? No, I didn't. No? Oh, okay. No, no. Okay. Although I remember going into Dry Goods. I don't know where I bought my records. Tell you the truth, and I because I bought so few of them, it was a rare event. Okay, and my sister may have been the one to buy some records. I know she bought a few. Uh, Ray Charles's uh, "Swanee River Rock" was another one. Oh yeah, seeped into the house. Yeah, I Hoist Five and Ten used to carry records. Yeah, uh, a, a little bit, and was there the Richardson Variety store? I think that's where I may have bought them because it was in the mm-hmm. neighborhood. Yeah, I tried to make that when well, you had that project that you were a big contributor to at the Delaware Art Museum a couple of years ago, the Dream Street. Right. You want to describe, why don't you describe that project? Oh, well, that yeah, that was an interesting project. That was gratifying in a lot of ways uh, because uh, in Wilmington, in the wake of the riots in the 70s, uh, there was a, a movement uh, there uh, spawned by people like Rob Jones and Tom Watkins mm-hmm. to uh, create an, a, a, an art community down there. I can't remember uh, the the way they characterized it. It wasn't grunge. It was um, sleaze. Sleaze. Right. That sleaze. was it. You right. got it. Right. Uh-huh. Right. Right. Uh, uh, the Fifth Street Gallery and and Tom Watkins uh, Sanadu Comic Book Store, which made it into the movies, by the way. Right. Right. Another. Right. Through Harvey Picar and yeah. Joyce, Joyce Brabner. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, a lot of art was being generated in Wilmington. It was a revival. Uh, of art, but it was also uh, a re- reaction to the Brandywine tradition, you know, uh, you know that we had this Brandywine tradition there that sort of defined what art was in Wilmington, and this kind of changed all that. And it was quite a prolific time, you know, both in terms of uh, mostly art, but a little bit of literature, and Dream Streets kind of came in on with that. And uh, there was, you know, the music was, 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 was there as right. well. And as time goes on, it becomes history. And so <laughs> the, the, the art museum saw this history, this cultural history uh, in Wilmington, and they decided, well, there's enough here to actually, uh, you know, do an, a, a, an exhibit uh, and to talk about that whole era. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, they were clamoring for a name. They were trying to figure out what to call it, you know, and and all of a sudden, you know, uh, Margaret uh, Winslow says, well, why don't we call it Dream Streets, you know? And I kind of resisted a little bit, you know, because I know disparate units of people might get, you know, resentful or jealous or something, something like that. But anyway, she said, no, you know, trust me on it. And they called it Dream Streets. And so th- we had this big exhibit at the, uh, at the um, Delaware Art Museum with paintings, uh, and other uh, ephemera, as they call it. Right. Um, there were issues of Dream Streets there, of course, and um, it was it was quite a, a gratifying thing. Uh, and they also produced; they actually revived Dream Streets because you know those of us who were responsible for it were sort of willing to kind of let it go, you know, after fifty issues. Mm-hmm. But they said, "Well, no, let's you know we'll publish Dream Streets fifty one, which they did, and." Uh, uh, that was also part of the exhibit. Uh, they they did like five thousand on newsprint and got rid of them all. You know, 
Wow. It was uh, quite a quite a, an adventure. Of course, it was a promotional thing for them, a uh, device for them. But right. uh, uh, it revived us, and so we've, using the new technology that's out there now, began to, to publish Dream Streets again. Um you know, online, which right. is the new technology. Sure, sure. So, so uh, that was that was a nice experience. It was very successful, and uh, it you know kept us going. Is there anything else you want to talk about? This radio station, I think, is is really a, a great part of of you know the whole cultural scene here. Those of us who are involved in the station have so many connections in with the community, and it, it, it kind of uh, helps, you know, the, the community in its uh, cultural expression, you know. I often think if, if the station wasn't here, you know, what things would be like, you know. Right, right. Uh, I mean, we're, yeah, we're, we constantly say we're an undiscovered gem. I'm kind of glad we're not completely discovered because I think things would change. I mean, we, mm. we benefit, I mean, we can, we can have a lot of variety and be kind of freewheeling and stuff right? because we're not, our profile isn't that high. It's kind of a de- bargain with the devil or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, I think there's enough of of it here to actually make things happen and and support and sustain things going on in the community. I I know that you know we have these musical festivals. You know, the the reggae, the blues, the jazz festivals, and mm-hmm. I think you know we kind of support that in in a way. Oh sure. And and um. um and a number of us here are also involved with those things in, in, a, in, a, in an intimate way. So, uh, uh, you know, I think one of the best things that have happened here in, in the area is this radio station. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like I, I say, I, I don't know what it would be like without it. Yeah. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, Stephen. We've been talking to Stephen Leach today from Even Stephen's Bop Time on Saturday mornings on WVUD. Stephen, thank you very much for coming in. Oh, you're quite welcome.